Let's pray. Lord God, we pray today that the reading of your word would be anointed to such a degree that we see what you're after today. We pray today that our ears would be opened, our hearts would be receptive, and that your servant, me, would be able to enunciate the words that you would have heard today. Fill my mouth with the words of life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. We're working our way through this series that we've entitled, The Prayers of the Apostle Paul. And, of course, today we're in Ephesians 3. We have been in Colossians last week or two weeks ago. We were in Colossians 1, I mean Ephesians 1, and today Ephesians 3. And uh, and so I've entitled today's session Comprehending God's Love. And um, so what we're trying to do in studying this prayer from Paul is to release the blessing of the prayer to us, to release when you read God's word, something happens. You may not understand every word you read. You may not comprehend everything you see. But something happens when you read God's word because it is active and it's living and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so something happens internally when we read his word. So we're going to release that blessing and Hopefully that this will cause us to draw closer to the Father in a personal way. Uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at this, these prayers and saying, Lord, why, why are you having us to do this? I think it's because of our position. I wrote this down. All of Paul's prayers are intended to direct God's dynamic effect towards our lives and in turn draw us closer to Him in a personal way. My my campaign these days is to direct us away from performance-based righteousness and to point us towards relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. That our life is not just, you know, I made a joke recently and I actually got this from Bob Harrington. Don't don't drink and don't chew and don't run with those who do. <laughs> and sometimes we've reduced Christianity to what we do or what we don't do. Let me tell you something. It's important what you do. And it's important what you don't do. But it's way, everybody say, way. Y'all did that good. Way more important of our relationship with God the Father and that we can see him as someone that we can relate to because he's not an it, he's a person. And so we want to, we want, to, want all of that, Paul wants all of that and the Holy Spirit wants all of that to help us to comprehend God's love as the foundation of our lives. Next Sunday, I'm going to deal more with what love is, in some cases, what it isn't. Next Sunday, we're going to deal with another prayer of Paul's in Philippians when he deals with, with agape. 
But let me just suffice it to say for today, for the sake of today's study, that God's love is not a feeling. God's love is not an emotion. In our culture, when we hear the word love, we think something romantic. Uh, I have a, I have a great disdain for worship courses that pronounce a romantic relationship between me and God to such a degree that you notice we don't sing any. My relationship with God is not a romance, but he's my master and I'm his servant. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. So Paul, and again, we're going to deal with more of that next Sunday, but I want us to understand that for me to love you does not mean that I have to uh, agree with everything you do. It doesn't mean that I have to approve of your lifestyle. Oh, it got quiet. But that's love. Ephesians 3, uh, and we're going to start reading in verse 14. Uh, If you'd stand while we read God's Word. I'm going to throw you a little curve today. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Don't tell the Southern Baptists we've hijacked their Bible. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love? And to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Everybody say amen. Amen. You can be seated. I like that Paul begins this this little section, and of course it wasn't a section when he wrote it, but he begins this part of the prayer by saying, I bow my knees before the Father. The worship team probably did not know that I was going to address this, but we read, we sang today about I bow before the Father. And Paul starts out with worship of the Father. Let me just tell you that the best way to start prayer is not necessarily, and I'm guilty of this, hey, Lord, this is what I need. Nothing wrong with that. But the best way to start out prayer is I bow my knees before the Father. The best way to start prayer is in gratitude. Here we are Thanksgiving week. In gratitude and in worship. He said, I bow my knees, which is a which is a, a posture or a position. I want to submit to you that that we need to reassume this posture. And I don't just mean in our culture. I think in the church, we need to reassume, whether it physically or not, we need to reassume a posture of us bowing our knees before God the Father in worship. The psalmist said, come, let us worship and bow down. And let us kneel. Before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. 
No matter what, what we're doing or where we are in life, we need to assume that posture. And if we're, and if we're, we've uh, gotten frivolous with our relationship with God, we need to reassume that posture. God's not our buddy, buddy, buddy. He's our Lord. He's our great potentate. He's the master and the creator of the universe. And we need to worship him. We sang today how great, everybody say great, Great. is our God. I wrote in, uh, I I forget where, but I I, I think it was in the Chronicle, an article entitled Embracing the Mystery of God. And in that article, I mentioned that if you can figure God out, you got a God too small. If the, if the God we worship is not a God of mystery, we are worshiping a false God. I can't figure God out. I don't understand everything about God. I don't understand why he does some things, and I don't understand why he doesn't do some things. I don't understand why he doesn't uh, call on me and get a vote. But he doesn't. That's, I bow my knees before that, that God. And I worship him. And he says, I worship the father from whom every family is named. Or the whole family is named. There's an interesting word there in the word family is P-A-T-R-I-A. Where we get our word patriarch. And so... Some versions, and I think these are very accurate, would in, uh, would translate that every fatherhood is named. From whom every fatherhood is named. Family, as we know it, biblically, family is rooted in fatherhood. Now you say, well, you're a male chauvinist. I'm not, just ask my wife, she'll tell you. <laughs> family is rooted in fatherhood, why in the world do you think fatherhood is under such attack today? Why do you think you turn on the television and every TV show and commercial is denigrating fathers? Every father in the commercials and the TV shows is a big bumbling idiot because the devil has an agenda to destroy families and he knows to destroy families, he just got to deal with fatherhood. And he said, there are two words in the, in this, in that language that deal with the word father or fatherhood. Uh, one of them is the word paternity, which is really in the purely physical sense of being a father. We have another term for that, but I'm not going to say it in public. Um, anyway, it could be used of a father or a fatherhood in which the father never sees the child. That's just a physical contribution, let's say. When men in the old, under the old covenant, men use the word father referring to God before Jesus came, they most often referred to him in the sense of paternity. Just in this, because when Jesus said our father in, in Matthew 6, some guys got whiplash from turning their head around. What? That was new to, that was new to them because up and he's just a paternal being who made a contribution to, 
Jesus comes along and this changes. And now fatherhood, as Paul uses it in this verse, describes an intimate relationship of love and fellowship and care. Something new. When he says, our father, that's what he's talking about. When Paul says, our father, whom every fatherhood is named, he's talking about an intimate. And we're starting to study, again, some of you have been through this, the Agape Road by Bob Mumford in our small group on Wednesday nights. And the first, right out the gate, Bob said, intimacy is into me he sees. Into me he sees with the freedom and the ability to to do what he wants to do in me. God is the Father who is accessible. Oh, Lord, help me. How many kids today have a father who's not accessible? Some of them don't even know where he is. Or he may be sitting next to them and he's still not accessible. God the Father is accessible. Well, he continues on. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power. You may recall in Colossians 1 when we dealt with the prayer there, he also mentioned being strengthened with God's might. Do you think this is an issue that Paul wants to address? Can I tell you that you can make it through anything that you're facing or that you will face because of the strengthening of God in you? It says strengthen with power through his spirit. The strengthening of God's power comes through his Holy Spirit. In other words, there there is no academic access to God's power. I love to read. I'm currently reading Eric Metaxas' biography of Martin Luther. I love to read, but I've never read a book yet that gave me the Holy Spirit power. And I mean, this one here does pretty good. Because it's God's word. Don't stop reading. Don't read. I like to, usually I keep two or three books going at any given time. I don't know how I keep them separate, but anyway. There is no academic access to God's power, but he says the strength of his power comes through his spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He says, and then he gives us the standard. He says, according to his riches. And remember that when the Bible, most of the time in the Greek text, when the Bible says according to, the Greek there is translated down from. So according to is down from. In other words, he says the power and the riches of his glory that you're receiving comes down from. Down from what? Down from heaven. Into the earth. Into you. He's praying that you would be strengthened according to God's supply, according to his plentitude. Be strengthened, which just is a word that just means to be fortified or invigorated. Now, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you many times, maybe today, you need to be invigorated and you need some fortification in your inner person? The J.B. Phillips translation says that you would know the strength of the Spirit's inner reinforcement. 
for us to try to make it through the trials and the challenges that we face in life without the inner reinforcement of his spirit is folly. And that's why we become frustrated. And he says, I want this. I want this so that Christ could make his home in your hearts. So that Christ could dwell. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, once again, there are two words here for this word dwell. And the first one is to inhabit a place as a stranger. Uh, or in uh, Ephesians 2.19, he talks about an alien living away from his home. But the second word is a word that is a permanent occupation rather than a temporary one. And Paul is using that here. And when we talk about Christ dwelling with us, you say, well, I'm already a Christian. Christ is dwelling with me. Well, he definitely is residing in you by the Holy Spirit, but does he have the liberty to dwell? Paul is praying that Christ, through the Spirit, will be afforded room. Everybody say room. Say it louder. To settle down in our hearts and from his throne in our hearts to direct and strengthen us. There's a difference between just accepting Jesus as our Savior and thank God that you did that if you, if in fact you have, and I'm sure you have. And allowing room for the Lord Jesus to assume a place on the throne of our life so that he can direct our lives. What he's saying when he says, let Christ dwell in you, is that he's going from being an acquaintance to being the center of our lives. Sometimes we sing a song around here, be the center, be the center. We want Christ to be the center of our lives. You've heard me say that if Jesus is a very important part of your life, then you've got problems. You are malnourished. If Jesus is a very important part of your life, then you are coming up short of what God has for you. Jesus cannot be a very important part of your life. Jesus has to be your life. Not even the most important. He just, he has to be your life. I heard James Ryle say, Matthew 6 33, we quote it. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. James Ryle says we should add the word only. Seek the kingdom of God only. And all these things will be added. Because if we seek his rule and reign in our lives, everything else will be taken care of. We don't want Jesus to be an acquaintance to us. We don't want Jesus to be someone we heard preached about on Sunday. We don't want Jesus to be someone we studied in Sunday school. I mean, we want all of that, but we want all of that to lead to being the center of our lives. This can only be possible because he's still alive. God's not dead. He's alive. And then he says, he says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love. 
the foundation of love. Rooted. Rooted is where the, we get our sources from. The, the, the roots of a plant or a tree or whatever it may be, they get their source from where those roots go and where those roots touch. And if there's nothing there in the soil, then there's death. But you and I have the, the roots of our lives in the soil of Jesus Christ and His love. And it's the foundation. We have deep roots and we have firm foundations. And he says, you have been rooted and you have been grounded in agape. Once again, not an emotion, not a feeling, but a commitment. God says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't mean necessarily that he had some ooey-gooey feeling towards us. But there was a character element of God. That said, I'm going to redeem the human race because of who I am, not because of who they are. I hate to bust your bubble. But Jesus didn't come because of any, anything he saw in us. He didn't, he didn't see something good in us and said, let's go get that. He, He said, he saw something good in the Father. And he obeyed the Father and came to earth and gave his life for us. And he said, this is how we know what agape is, that a man would lay down his life for his brothers. No feeling, no emotion. Now, feeling and emotion is good, and there is, a, there is a love that has feeling and emotion to it, but agape is not it. And the, the foundation of our life can, cannot be that. It, it has to be a commitment and a devotion to God. Unconditional. Everybody say unconditionally. We, we give ourselves to God without condition. Love is to be the soil in which our lives are rooted and is to be the foundation upon which our lives are built. Agape. Everything we do. When I, when I deal with people, when you deal with people, everything we do, every decision we make, every word we speak should come out of that soil off from out of that foundation and I may say to you I don't like what you're doing I don't like what you're saying I don't like where you're going I don't like the lifestyle you've adopted Mm. I mean you know you can't say that today because if you say to someone I don't like the lifestyle you've adopted well now you're a hater And yet my commitment to you, my devotion to you is unchanged because my, my relationship with you and my agape for you comes out of Jesus Christ, not how I feel. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be good this morning. Y'all help me. And he says all of this because he wants us to do what I call grasp the entirety of God's love, entirety. Of God's love. We have, good Lord, I'm getting into next Sunday, but we have got to escape from and we have got to be careful that we don't just see, that we don't see God's love as warm and fuzzy. This is the time of year we get into the warm and fuzzies. But I want to tell you that God's love is not warm and fuzzy. It may create warm and fuzzy, but it's not warm and fuzzy. That's the entirety. And he wants to, he says, I pray that you have, this is an interesting, interesting word. I pray that you have the strength to comprehend. How about that? 
that you would have the strength to comprehend. Where does the strength come from? From the Holy Spirit. But you have the strength to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love. That's an interesting play on words. The New Living Translation, I think, does this well when it says, How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. Once again, the worship team did not know I was going to read that verse today, and yet we sing how deep the Father's love. He took a wretch and made me his treasure. I know you don't want to be called a wretch, so I'll say I'm the wretch. Uh, I hate to break the news to you. We were all wretches. How deep the Father's love that he would reach into earth. He would reach into my life and your life. And he would so change us that he can now call us his treasure. John Stott, I think, says it the best. He says the love of Christ is broad enough to to encompass all mankind. And it's long enough to last for eternity. And it's deep enough to reach to the most degraded sinner and high enough to exalt him to heaven. Now, let's don't rush through that. Let that sink in. The love of God is broad enough to encompass all mankind. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner. I was in a Bible study one time, and some guys started saying, what do you think about Jeffrey Dahmer? What if Jeffrey Dahmer came to Christ and accepted Christ and was converted? Do you think he'd go to heaven? I thought, what a dumb question. But that's not what I answered. (laughs) Because I still meet with those guys today. I said, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there have been, there have been people down through the ages that have created, have committed vile, vile crimes against humanity. And as they should, they've paid the price to the society. And some of them have true, and I know there's jailhouse religion, but some of them have truly, truly, truly given their life to Christ. And it doesn't matter how vile the sin was. Can I tell you sin is sin? We want, to, we want to identify sins today and make some worse than others. And there are sins that have more or have greater consequences than others. But sin is sin. God's love is deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner. You say, well, I'm glad that wasn't me. Yeah, it was. Because sin is sin. And high enough to exalt him to heaven. Boy, if we comprehend that, and that becomes the foundation of our life, that becomes the soil from which our life springs, how much better would our world be around us? And then he makes this statement, that you would comprehend with all the saints. Say, God, I love you. I don't care for your kids too much. Comprehend with all the saints. We need the whole people of God 
to understand the whole love of God. You cannot understand nor comprehend God's love until you have people in your life. There's a vacuum there. Until I have opportunity for you to offend me, till I have opportunity for you to be the iron that sharpens iron, I don't understand what God's love really is. He talks about the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Let's face it. You and I cannot totally understand or have the knowledge of why and how Jesus Christ would do what he did and come on our behalf other than he did it in obedience to the Father. And in Hebrews 12, when it says, "He for the joy set before him, I hate to break the news to you, but that was not you and that was not me. The joy that was set before Jesus Christ was to do the will of his Father. Now, there's joy from him redeeming us. We saw two weeks ago where we are the airship of God. But I want to tell you that the real joy, the primary joy for Jesus Christ came to be being obedient to his father. And then he says that you may be filled with all fullness. Filled with all fullness. John Stott once again says the Greek preposition indicates that we are to be filled not with so much as unto the fullness of God. Unto the fullness. That we continue to be filled. What are we going to be filled with? God's love. God's Holy Spirit. Which are basically the same thing. That we walk in the fullness of who God is. Someone said to be filled up to that fullness of God, which human beings are capable of receiving without ceasing to be human. Being filled up with God. We always talk about the blessing of God and God's blessing in our lives. I want to submit to you today that I've said it before. I'll say it again. The blessing of God is God. He is the blessing. I just read a book, I've referred to it several times, by uh, John Piper. He says, God is the gospel. God is the good news. And when, I, when I'm saying the fullness of God, I want God. I don't want just a lesson about him. I don't want just the knowledge of him as far as information. I need to be filled with God himself. So that he finishes up, I'm not going to read it, but starting in verse, uh, if I could see it, I could tell you what it is. Starting in verse 20, he finishes up by what I'm calling the over-adequacy of the Father. By the way, that's a good thing. He says, well, I will read it, and I'm going to come back and comment. He says, he is able out of him is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. And then he says, according to the power within us. God is able to do all that we ask or think according to the power that's working in us. So we're still not out of the equation. And then I wrote this down. He's able to do because he's neither idle nor inactive nor dead. 
He's able to do all that we ask or think because he knows it all and can perform it all. Do you believe God knows all? They've asked me to write an article for the Chronicle again, which, you know, it's a pretty regular occurrence. I'm thinking about writing an article that's entitled, Do You Think God is Smart? <laughs> because some of us love Jesus, but we don't think he's that smart. Because if we thought he was smart, come on, we'd be doing what he said. Yes, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you did for us, but we don't think you're all that smart. We'll, we got it from here. We'll take it from here. We'll call you if we need you. Make sure you come back and get us one day. God, are you, is God smart? Mm, he's able to do all that we ask or think because his expectations are higher than ours. We think we're going to shock God when we ask or think something. And his expectations are higher than you can imagine. He's able to do far more abundantly because his grace is not offered by calculated measure. God does not have a measuring cup in which he puts his power or his strength or his grace. And when that cup is empty, there is no more. God has no calculated measure. J.B. Phillips wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. I highly recommend it. We're dealing with the love of God that is past or beyond our ability to know. We're dealing with the power of God that is beyond our imagination. We're talking about limits, limitless love and limitless power. Only God's divine power can generate a divine love in his divine society. That we could comprehend that. Someone, maybe Ron Gray last week, I don't remember, quoted this. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. For for love, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We think we're going to prove to the world that his, we're his disciples by the platitudes that we spit out. We think we're going to prove to the world that we are his disciples by all the religious exercises that we do. We think that we're going to prove that because of how many times we go to church. Yeah, I said that. And it bothers me when you're not here. Those of you who aren't here today, it bothers me that you aren't here. (laughs) But is that all we have? Is that all I have to offer in attendance? Is all I have to offer to occupy a blue chair? Mark down a quota. Made it. Now let's go about our our business. Let's go on back to what we were doing. Or is it going to be my agape to you? He said, love each other as I have loved you. Wow, that's a high bar. That's a really high bar. 
because his, his agape, his love to us is unconditional. He didn't do anything for us with anything, any expectation in return. As I said earlier, what God has done for us, he did it because of his own character, not because of us. I mean, he loves us. He cares about us. But there was nothing in us that would draw that out of him. It was his own character that drew it out of him. I know it's, it goes back to God's love surpasses knowledge. We Sometimes we can't comprehend because the only kind of love we know of is one that that is, excuse the current term, quid pro quo. Your love for one another, I'm telling you, Abundant Life Church will prove to the world that you are the disciples of Jesus Christ. The, the commitment to one another, the devotion to one another, the caring for one another, the unconditional being there for one another, that's what causes the world. You know, we've said many times, you know, uh, we had a meeting this week of everyone's Wilson. By the way, we got some good stuff coming up for the regarding the schools with everyone's Wilson. But we were in a big a room full of pastors and leaders, and and we say every time, if the world can see this, they'll believe in Jesus Christ. What they've seen too often is pastors fighting and competing with one another for church members. But when they can see us, when we did the thing on uh, National Day of Prayer at Charlie Daniels Park, there was probably twelve to 1,500 people out there during that time. It started raining, and I'm standing over to the side in the rain, decided just to weather it out. And when it started raining, a bunch of people disappeared. <laughs> but in a few minutes, I realized what had happened. You've been to Charlie Daniels Park, and there's a there's a, the amphitheater, and next to the amphitheater is a pavilion, a large pavilion. I looked over there at that pavilion, and there was people packed into that pavilion like sardines. They hadn't left. They didn't want to get soaking wet, but they hadn't left. So then someone went to, you know, we had those food trucks in the back. I still hadn't quite figured out what that had to do with prayer. But anyway, food trucks in the back. I shouldn't complain because I ate a hot dog. Somebody went to one of those and came back and told me, said, do you realize behind that, those food trucks, there's a pavilion and this is packed as that one is over there? Nobody left. Very few people. I know some of you there and you probably left and I don't blame you. But anyway, some people pulled up and left. Most of the people didn't leave. And we still had several hundred sitting out here in the rain with us. Some of you were there. Why? The war, and this is mostly the church, but the world wants to see, and church people want to see leaders together. It didn't matter that day if this one was Baptist and that one was Methodist and that one was Church of God and that one was whatever we are and different groups of people. It didn't matter to us. But we were t- together on the platform. We were together in the program. We were together in leading the prayer. We were together in presenting the gospel. You know what that does to you. Imagine what it does to the world when they see us stop fighting and see us start being together.
That will continue. That's the foundation. Paul finishes up this prayer by saying this, To him be glory where? In the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Stand with me.